Well, good morning, everybody, and welcome to Gospel Saving Church. Praise God. I'm so glad you've all joined in today, and, and you're here to hear the word of the Lord. And Praise God. I hope you've come here today to not be entertained, but rather just to hear the word of the Lord and what God has to say to all of us today. We're, we're here at Gospel Saving Church. Uh, always test what I say, but I can tell you this. You're safe with the things that you hear here. You don't have to worry about... Being, having poisonous teachings planted on your hearts and your soils, and you'll always be safe at Gospel Saving Church, but always still test me with what I say, because I'm never above, never above being tested and put to, the, put to the test to see if I'm teaching the truth as well, too. But, I, but that ought to tell you something, that if I tell you to do it, then people that want to trick you and want to deceive you, they don't tell you, oh, test what I say. They just say, believe what I say, and then that's it. So praise God. This is Gospel Saving Church, one of God's true churches of these last days, and this is our weekly broadcast of truth from God's Word. We always start with a word of prayer because we know the Word says the Bible, the ultimate authority of every true Christian, of every person that fears God, the Bible is His ultimate authority, and the Bible says that we can't understand the things of God apart from the Spirit of God. So we ought to pray and ask God to help us understand what His Word says because it's only by His Spirit we can understand. Thank you so much, Lord God for uh, giving us a new day. Thank you so much, Lord God, for helping us, Lord God, in, in every way in which you help us, Lord. You even give help to the people that don't love you and, and hate you, Lord God. It's not the same help as you give your kids. Uh, that's just a little different, kind of like, you know, just the sonship and all that. But, Lord, you still do help and you still do give aid and, and, and special things, Lord, even to those that hate you. Um, but, Lord, thank you for all of those that are out there listening to me, whether they're they don't love you or whether they fully love you with all their hearts. Lord, I thank you that they've joined in to listen to Gospel Saving Church's uh, weekly broadcast of truth. And Lord, we uh, just ask that you, uh, for me too, Lord, always, we're always asking, Lord, help us to understand your truths. Help us, Lord, by your Holy Spirit to understand your truths, Lord God. Not by our will, Lord God, not by the will of man, but by the will of God, but by your Holy Spirit, Lord, you can help us understand your words. And Lord, of course, as I say, I'm big on, Lord God, don't, Help us not just to understand, have ears to hear, help us to hear those things and have ears to hear, but Lord, also help us then to apply to our lives the things that we hear today. Father God, because wisdom without, knowledge without action is foolishness, Lord. It really is. It just doesn't do you any good to have the knowledge, but not to apply it. So God, help us. Father God, please help us. We, we love you and we praise you and we thank you. We give you all the glory and all the honor. And we ask these things in Jesus Christ's mighty name. Amen. So you guys can turn to Acts chapter 11. We're going to be in verses 1 through 18 today in a brand new chapter as we just finished up last week's chapter 10. But I won't read them or, or teach these verses until I give you my thoughts from last week's message. In truth, I perceive that God shows no partiality. Last week, we talked about quite a few different topics. God preparing the hearts of his kids to do great, to do good works for him. Uh, was Jesus Christ crucified on a cross? And if so, why did Peter say tree? Uh, just offhand, I don't know if I, I don't know if I made this, this, this statement as powerful as I will today, but it was absolutely a tree. And, and how do you say, how do I know that? Well, because we can look back to Egypt and we can look back to the Passover lamb that was slain and where God said put the blood so that the, the angel of death would pass over and that was in the shape of a cross on the doorframe. So we know it was a cross, but just FYI, that's, I don't know if I made that very clear last week. Another topic, is there eternal salvation in God Almighty uh, uh, outside of Jesus Christ and his sacrifice? And, and, and really, is water baptism 
Uh, does water baptism outside of Christ save us? We've, we've talked about all those things last week, just to name a few. And I close with something very profound. I had said that we wouldn't even have had all of these things to learn about if God was not, or if God, yes, if God was, I should say, partial toward mankind. But of course, he's not, but we wouldn't have even had those things to talk about if God was partial toward humankind. Uh, that's where the title came from, remember. Uh, in truth, I perceive that God shows no partiality. That statement in the context Peter used it in means that no matter what type of person you may be in all the world, you or me, whether Arab, whether Italian, Polish, Irish, English, Somalian, Greek, German, Mexican, Spanish, or Jew, no matter who you may be, if you respond to the awesome witness that God is trying to reveal of himself uh, to you, to them, who everybody on the face of the planet, as Romans 1 says, then he will accept you and, and account you worthy for eternal life in Jesus Christ. Isn't God so loving and so kind? He's not prejudiced. He's not racist. And the only bias, the good one <laughs> that he has is towards his kids, those that have come and responded to his calling and allowed him to come inside of them and, and said, here I am, Lord. These are the ones that get to take of all, advantage of all of God's benefits. Praise him, all you saints. But again, as I say that, Although all his saints get to take advantage of all his goodness and all of his benefits. As I say this, I want to say this. It's not that he doesn't want to give all of his benefits to all people, but he has to be righteous. For he is righteousness. He should be the picture, if we had a picture of God. Thankful we don't, we'd probably all look at it and die. But if we did, he, he would be the picture of righteousness, right, in every dictionary. And just like a human father doesn't give all of his benefits to the neighbor kids and the kids that are across the street like he does his own kids, it's the same with God and his own kids, those that have accepted him, those that turned him. But the good news and awesome news and the good thing about God is that uh, human beings can't match in this category. Here's, here's, the, here's where we can't even compare, right? God wants all people to be his kids, which happens by adoption, by the way, spiritual adoption, right? And he could take us all in if we all just turn to him, unlike people. The people can't take everybody. No, no one man can be the father of everybody and give it. There's just not one man on the earth that could do that. Folks, God is not partial, and he wants all to come to him and drink of the living water that is in him alone. So many teach the Bible as if God's promises are unconditional for all, but they are not. They are not. I was just listening to an apostate preacher uh, the other day as, as something kind of came up, and I don't go out of my way to listen to these guys, but something came up, and I was just, it was just a little clip, and I was like, wow. And this fella talked about God's promises and God's, all of these things about God, and it was, there was no choice in the matter. It was just, Oh, this is what we get. And well, who's he talking to? Well, he's talking to everybody. This particular person has, has thousands of members in his church. Are they all God's kids? Are they all God's adopted kids? Probably not. Yet he talked to them as if they were. So God's promises are only for his kids, especially for his salvation. It's only for those that turn to him. It's, his salvation's for everybody, but you got to receive you got to accept. you got to turn. It's not just for you because, oh, well, it's there. 
like the Christmas present under the tree, right? It's a Christmas present. It's under the tree, but you don't get it. It's not yours officially. You don't get to do things with it and play with it until you actually go and you take it and you receive it. And then it's yours. So come to Christ Jesus, people. He's not partial. He's not racist. He's not prejudiced towards you. He wants to adopt you today because he loves you and he wants all to come to him so that all of you can be God's kids. But that coming for that adoption part is up to you. And how do we do that? I'll get to that at the end of today's sermon, so you'll have to wait and listen. All right, on to our new sermon for today. Please, Acts 11, 1 through 18, title of our message today. I couldn't but, I couldn't but dare do it. I had to give it this title, even though I really didn't want to, but it's... Uh, is water baptism necessary for salvation? That's the title of our message today. Is water baptism necessary for salvation? Let's read over Acts, 1, or Acts 11, 1 through 18, and let's see what God has to say to us, and then I'll teach him. The Bible says this, Now the apostles and brethren who were in Judea heard that the Gentiles had also received the word of God. And when Peter had came up to Jerusalem, those of the circumcision contended with him, saying, you went into an uncircumcised man and ate with them? But Peter explained it to them in order from the beginning, saying, I was in the city of Joppa, praying, and in a trance I saw a vision, an object descending like a great sheet, let down from heaven by four corners, and it came to me. When I observed it intently and considered, I saw four-footed animals of the earth and wild beasts and creepy things and birds of the air, and I heard a voice saying to me, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But I said, Not so, Lord in his little rebellion, for nothing common or unclean has at any time ever entered my mouth. But the voice answered me again from heaven and said, What God has cleansed you must not call common. Now this was done three times, and all were drawn up again into heaven. At that very moment three men stood before the house where I was, having been sent to me from Cornelius, or from Caesarea, excuse me. Then the Spirit told me to go with them, doubting nothing, Moreover, these six brethren accompanied me, accompanied me, and we entered this man's house. And he told us how he had seen an angel standing in his house, who said to him, Send men to Joppa and call for Simon, whose surname is Peter, who will tell you words by which you and all your household will be saved. And as I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell upon them as upon us at the beginning. Then I remembered the word of the Lord, how he said, John indeed baptized with water, but you shall baptize with the Holy Spirit. If, there, if therefore God gave them the same Spirit, the same gift as he gave us when we believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I, that I could withstand God. When they heard these things, they become silent, and they glorified God, saying, Then God has also granted to the Gentiles repentance to life. Well, now remember, God took Peter on a journey, a journey that he had no idea that he was going on, a journey that he couldn't have been prepared for in all his whole life had God not prepared him for this journey. A journey that, had he known what, what journey he was going on, he might have ran away like Jonah, right? A journey where, number one, God used him to help the Jewish Christians to see that the Gentiles were not dirty, rotten, filthy, disgusting, pig, like pigs, right? For he shows no partiality towards anyone, whether then or still still. 
And number two, the biggest part of that journey, God showing Peter and all Jews that he's opening up salvation and even wants to save the Gentiles, same as he did the Jews. Isn't God so good that he loves the whole world, John 3.16? I hate to say that out there, but that, that's... It, it, so. It, so many people have cliched John 3.16, but really John 3.16, that's the heart of God. For God so loves the world, right, that he gave his only begotten son. Wow. God is, so good, uh, God is so good that the news of his goodness toward the Gentiles spread to Jerusalem even before Peter and his companions got back. Look at verse 1 again and into verse 2. Now the apostles and brethren who were in Judea heard that the Gentiles had also received the word of God. Verse 2. And when Peter came up to Jerusalem, notice the word actually spread to the to the back to the back to the Jews, back to the religious Jews, even before Peter had gotten back and was able to travel back. Isn't that amazing? Uh, at this time in the Jewish world, even the Jewish Christian world, this was humongous news. No wonder why it spread like wildfire even before Peter returned. Such humongous news was this that the Jewish Christian world it rocked it super hard. Look at the rest of verse 2 and verse 3. Those of the circumcision contended with him saying, you went into the uncircumcised men and ate with them? So they heard the news of what Peter did. And I got to tell you, when I was reading this over and God showed me this, I kind of myself, I got a little angry here. I really did. And let me explain. They heard the news of what Peter did and that God had allowed the Gentiles to receive the word of God, which meant what? If you receive the word of God, that means that salvation came to that house that he went to, right? Yet verse 1 just told us that they knew it. Now listen to this. And there better not be any one of you that I ever hear, hear this happen, that you say this. Instead of rejoicing in God and Christ, that salvation had come to people, anyone, anywhere, I don't care who they were, anyone, as I would expect any true believer or person to do. Uh, and instead of rejoicing at this news, they get angry with Peter. You did what? You went where? You ate with who? For, forget about salvation. Forget about people being spared from an eternal flame of fire. They get angry because he went into a, Jew, a, a Gentile man's house and he ate with him. They're so angry that they see him, they don't even greet him. Hey, Peter, how you doing? Hey, why did you do what you did? No, what did you do? How dare you? That's what the word contending means. How dare you go into a Gentile's house? How, how dare you? Such terrible sins. As I said, forget about the whole bunch of people that just got saved, right? I mean, how cold and unloving can people be? And I want to remind you here, these were not, these were not unsaved people. These people that were filled with the love of Jesus Christ. These were saved apostles. These were Peter's brethren. I had a talk one time, sometime back with a sister about how the apostles and the disciples were kind of learning at all times. And you see sometimes in Scripture where they make mistakes. And, and then you see a little bit later on, like especially with Paul. Paul might have said something in an early letter, but then learned kind of from Christ because they were learning just like me and you. And then he'd say something a little later on in a later epistle that may seem to like, well, he actually adds something else because, well, he didn't know 
the whole context. He didn't know all the truth when he first wrote it down in like an early epistle. Well, here we see a flawed original disciples, flawed original apostles, and that they were far from sinlessness because after all, God is love. How can God be love? Yet you lambaste your, 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 Peter was like one of the, okay, you had the 12 apostles and Peter was like one of the top. It was like Peter, James, and John. They were like Jesus, Jesus' closest three apostles, right? So, so in the church, who do we hear about more than anybody? Peter and, uh, Peter and John, mostly. That's who we hear about in the church, uh, really going forth in Acts and everything. We hear about Peter and John, Peter and John, Peter and John. Soon it becomes Paul, mostly, but it's Peter and John, Peter and John, Peter and John. Peter was like the head. And yet, don't they, didn't they even trust his judgment being the head of the, basically one of the top, top, top heads of the whole church of God? That they didn't even trust him? They didn't even trust God that he wouldn't allow them to do that? So they lambaste him, and they're in sin for doing so. They're in sin. They, they get on this man, salvation came, yet they're beating him over the head because he went into a Gentile house. Oh, who cares? The way they acted toward him, it's like he uh, stepped foot in a strip, uh, a strip joint or something. Well, how dare you go in there? You, you think it's, it, it, it's just ridiculous. And this, this section really shows us how much deep-seated hatred the Jews really had for the Gentiles. It really shows us that, that even the early Christians, although born again, although saved, although filled with the love of God, were still tainted by the evil religious leaders' teachings that taught them that all Gentiles were like filthy swine. A woman in her impurity. You go, yuck, get away from them. I mean, to me, to overlook the fact that God had just given Gentiles salvation, which, which obviously they knew, and attacked Peter for this going into them and into their house and eating with them, that's a pretty horrible act. That they thought Peter sinned. I say they sinned against God and Peter when he came back. The Jews just totally had a complex or a superiority complex toward all other races. I mean, just, just we see that. And again, we all it all goes back, as I keep saying, we have to be careful about dangerous religious teachings because they thought this way because their religious Jews had taught them, stay away from Gentiles. They're this bad. They're like cockroaches. Same, same way like, like, the, like the, you know, Muslims treat Jews today, like cockroaches. Step on them. They're filthy. Get away from them. Christians, be warned. But, thanks be to God on a better note, looks like Peter was ready for them. For since he was a Jew, right, he knew how they thought because he had thought the same way about the Gentiles uh, as they did until God Almighty, what? Slapped him across the back of the head. Get it? Get right, boy. Get right, son. You got to learn the truth. Hey, I love these people. I know you don't, but I do. And here's what I'm going to do. <laughs> but what God did for Peter a little while before this and what he's about to do with the rest of the Jews in Jerusalem reminds me of what Peter said in his second epistle, first chapter, verses 5 through 7. We see, we see the apostles going through this here. We see ourselves going through it. Absolutely. Peter says this in, in chapter 1 of first uh, of Second Peter, verse 5 through 7, but also for this very reason, giving all diligence. Now, what does diligence mean? Diligence is something that we absolutely make a point to go after, right? What do we make diligent? What does he say to make diligent? Add to your faith, virtue. <laughs> Add to your virtue, knowledge. These guys needed the knowledge that God Almighty loved all people. 
that what Jesus Christ said in John 3, 16 was really true. For God so loves the whole world. That would be everybody in the world. Not the elect or not just the Jews or not just the special. God loves everybody, right? Verse 6, and to knowledge, self-control, to self-control, perseverance, to perseverance, godliness. Love is godliness for God is love. To godliness, brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness, love. For God is love. And these guys needed a hard lesson in God loves everybody. The original disciples and apostles had to learn these principles, and they had to grow in them, just as we that follow Jesus Christ today no different. So don't think of them when you read the Bible and go, oh man, these people were so holy. Oh, these are such saints. Yeah, they were saints all right, just like every person in the world now that believes in Jesus Christ were saints. But that doesn't mean that we're not still sinners. That doesn't mean that we still don't blow it. That doesn't mean that we still don't do wrong things and do hateful things just like the disciples did here with Peter. Look at how God Almighty imparts the way in which he sees the Gentiles in love to the rest of the Jews in Jerusalem. We're going to go kind of fast here. Look at verses 4 through 14. And notice, by the way, as we're reading, and really through the rest, even through 17, notice how Peter goes through the same whole account he went through that he actually personally went through, but he does the same thing kind of as Cornelius does when Peter first comes to the house. He abridges it. He kind of leaves a little out, a little here, a little there, and I think maybe it was because of a little bit of excitement, maybe because he was afraid a little bit, because guess what? He was under the gun. He was basically he was basically standing in front of a judge, very judgmental council who was ready to, they were ready to hamstring him up like a horse, right? Uh, look, look at this. I'm going to explain as I go. Verse 4, but Peter explained it to them in order from the beginning. And he kind of puts it all together saying, verse 5, I was in the city of Joppa praying, and in a trance I saw a vision, an object descending like a great sheet let down from heaven by four corners. And it came to me when I observed it intently and considered I saw four-footed animals and of the earth, wild beasts, creeping things, and birds of the air. And the things he's describing here are all things that are all unclean to the Jews. They were all considered by the Jews. Do not even eat, don't even think about touching those things. And they would have understood what he said there about this sheet. And, and, and so verse 7, And I heard a voice saying to me, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But I said, Not so, Lord. He, he's, he's going through this account going, I, I told the Lord, I'll, I'll never eat anything unclean, Lord. No, I, I just won't do it. But verse 7, And I heard, heard a voice saying to me, Rise, P Peter, kill and eat. But I said, No, not so, Lord, for nothing common or unclean has ever entered my mouth. Verse 9, but the voice answering me again from heaven, what God has cleansed, you must not call common. Peter, I know what you think, but knock it off. It's all right. It's all good. You can eat it all. But he didn't understand the whole vision. Verse 10. Now this was done three times and all were drawn up again into heaven. And at that very moment, three men stood before the house where I was, having been sent to me from Caesarea. And the spirit told me to go with them, doubting nothing. So, hey, guys. Yeah, these three guys, you know, he didn't mention that they were Gentiles yet, but these three guys were standing there, and there's that just a vision, and I'm up there, and God's like, hey, go. And you know what? Don't even ask nothing. Don't ask any questions. Just shut your mouth and just go, and just, you know, just be obedient. Uh, moreover, these six brethren, this would have been Jewish brethren that he was accompanied with, accompanied me, and we entered the man's house, and now they kind of know, okay, they kind of know the backdrop, right? This guy, Peter, went into a, a Gentile's house, and he ate with them. Oh, dear, oh, let's string him up, verse 13. And he told us how he had seen an angel standing in his house. 
And he said to him, Send men to Joppa and call for Simon, whose surname is Peter, who will tell you, and I'll stop here and I'll make a huge pause here because this verse is going to be a large portion of the sermon, who will tell you words by which you and all your household will be saved. If that doesn't sound familiar to you, that's very good. It shouldn't sound familiar to you. So I'm going to make a huge pause here because what Peter says to this council of his fellow persecuting Jewish brethren in Christ, in verse 13, that Cornelius says to him, for it is super important to the context of this whole chapter and even in our last chapter concerning eternal life slash salvation apart from Jesus Christ by our good works, deeds, and devotion towards God, which I know I've talked about in every single sermon for the last two or three, but you got to listen up because it's the context of what we got here. And Peter like changes a little something here and we got to listen, uh, meaning can a person be saved from their sins and attain eternal life in heaven forever by being a good person, by doing good works, and having a devotion for God in general apart from Christ? I mean, that's, that's really what we're looking at here again. Well, even though this is the first time, listen, out of the two previous times this account has been recorded, Acts 10.6 and Acts 10.32, glance your eyes over to those if you would, please. Acts 10 says this of this same account, Acts 10.6 says this, He is lodging with Simon a Tanner. This is the original account now. This is the original one where God's angel spoke to Cornelius and told him the same thing. He is lodging with Simon a Tanner, whose house is by the sea. He will tell you words you must do. Now that's the same account. That's right from the angel's mouth. And this is that same thing. This is the same thing of what Peter says here. And yet go to 32, right? 10.32. Same account now. Now Peter's at Cornelius' house. And Cornelius is repeating to Peter, in an abridged version, mind you, what the angel told him and what, why he called for Peter. 32. Send therefore to Joppa and call Simon here, whose surname is Peter. He is lodging in a house of Simon, a tanner by the sea. When he comes, he will speak to you. Now, that's a little weird, right? We got three different accounts here we just read. We just read who will, that what Peter says that he was told was, who will tell you the words by which you and all your household will be saved, right? Uh, even though this is the first time we see this, but we, what we do see here proves what I've been saying to you the whole time over the last two to three sermons that I've been teaching you. I kept saying that when, when, when God told that there's no salvation apart from Christ in God Almighty alone because the, the message, hey, go get Peter. And Peter was going to, what was Peter's message? Salvation. This backs up everything that I've been saying because even though the last two accounts didn't record it, the heart condition behind go get Peter was verse 14. Go get Peter. Why? He'll tell you all the words by which you and your household will be saved, right? We see that when, when Peter got the, or when Cornelius got the go get Peter message, and, and even though it wasn't recorded, it wasn't said, the heart behind it was go get him. And here's why, because it tell you words by which you'll get saved. 
Isn't God so good? So no salvation outside of Jesus Christ. This verse is so powerful for our context to these sections up to this point, people. And I can't stress how important context really is when you're studying the Bible. Without context, without looking at the whole section of Scripture, without looking at the whole chapter or the whole section that a verse is in, people can make up any doctrine that they want. I just say this or that or whatever, and they can just really put any spin on God's word that we want, that they want to. They really can, right? And and this is dangerous. So, So Christians, whenever you're studying the Bible, just don't go after one verse. Go after the whole section. Look here to find the whole context, as I'd been saying all along, which my context was right, and the fact that the go get Peter message was go get him so that you can so that he can tell you words and tell you about Jesus Christ. Right? It, it wasn't about oh Peter's gonna tell him, oh he's a great man, and oh God's God, you're right in God's eyes. It was go get Peter so that he can give you the words to eternal life. That's what the whole thing was about. Don't do Look at Scripture, don't read Scripture, and just say, oh, well, just this is what it means. Look at the whole context, guys. Please, it's dangerous to just make up your own saying, and it's not godly. Uh, and as long as we're on the topic of this context uh, uh, in this verse, right, context, right, is the whole context of the verse, as well as what we're going to read in the next couple of verses, we also see here in verse 14, we're going to start seeing the chapter, t- or we're going to start seeing the, the, the sermon title here, Right? We're going to start seeing the sermon title that there's contextual proof for salvation apart from water or baptism, meaning people can be saved without being baptized as a work that adds to that salvation. Uh, up until now, when I've discussed how salvation comes outside of water baptism, you could have said, Pastor Ed, you know, I've been hearing you, but, but just having the Holy Spirit fall on you and a person speaking in tongues doesn't mean that people are born again or saved because you could say that because I've made those claims. I've said those things. And, and you do make a point because if we're looking at the Old Testament, right, and we're, and we're looking at the Old Testament, there were many instances where the Holy Spirit fell on or came upon people and they were not saved according to having the Holy Spirit come inside of them and seal them as under the new covenant, right? Because this falling upon and coming upon in the Old Testament even happened to the once godly but then apostated first king of Israel, Saul. He was filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke with these prophetic things and, and these, these, this spiritual language and prophesied and all this stuff. Yet we know him, he, he fell away from the Lord. Yet he still had these falling upons, right? So since this is true in the Old Testament wise, how do we know that the falling on these Gentiles in Acts chapter 10 by the Holy Spirit was them becoming born again before they were water baptized? <clears throat> Excuse me, I need a sip of water. So how do we know? How do we know it's a different context? Well, did you notice another angle of Peter's calling in verse 14? Read verse 14 over one more time. Verse 14, listen to this, how powerful this is. It says about the coming calling of Peter, who will tell you words by which you and your household will be saved. Did you catch the two things that were there? Words by which you and your household shall have salvation if salvation was contingent on words of preaching and water baptism why was it said that all he has to do when he went there was give him words 
by which they must be saved, right? I mean, that, that's, that's logical. You got to look at scripture logically. You got to look at scripture exegetically. And if it would have been said, well, go to, go to, go to, go to Cornelius' house and, and, and tell him words and get him baptized and get him saved, then we could say, well, you know what? Water baptism is part of salvation. Yet, it just simply says that the words by which that they were going to be saved. And why does it say that? Because salvation was and is not contingent on water baptism still to this day and becoming born again. And I repeat myself again, the action of water baptism is not contingent on water baptism. The action of, excuse me, water baptism, salvation, being saved is not contingent on water baptism. But I say now, as I've said previously in other sermons, it is simply yet powerfully for the person whom has had the heart change of repentance after they are born again as just an outward sign or work of it, the inner work of God's Holy Spirit filling and sealing. And again, not needed for somebody to get saved. And this is what we see here by just, go tell them words by which they must be saved or by, what, by they will be saved words and saved are the two keys there. I can't stress enough to anyone listening to me. No work, no matter how noble or righteous it is, can bring you eternal life or salvation. No work, period. No work can be added to the death of Christ on the cross to pay for our sins, period, the end, to get you saved. And it's so important that you understand this because many in the Christian world believe that salvation is contingent on being water baptized. It's really sad. I, I have talked to many Christians that believe that you must do something in order to be saved. Or I should say, actually, now I, refer, I, I, I want to recant that statement. I've talked to many people who thought they were Christians and thought that they had to be do something, a work, any work, in order to be saved. And ladies and gentlemen, it's just simply not true. But we're going to move on, and we're going to look at more of God's goodness and God's godliness in this section. Look at what else Peter tells his confused fellow Christian brethren with their misconception of Gentiles and God's plan for them. And the other place we see that salvation is not contingent on water baptism. Look at verses 15 through 17. Verse 15 says this, and as I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell upon them. Now, now just as an aside, I went back and it's about 10 verses. And so I, I kind of really think that really, even though it was 10 verses when Peter started to speak, that was probably him really beginning to speak. I'm pretty probably pretty sure he was a very winded preacher. I could see his sermons going into the hours because he says, as I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell upon them. Well, that was a 10 verse section his considering his beginning to speak. And of course, he is abridging here as well too. So as he began to speak, notice, there was no action, there was no, no work here, but as he began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell upon them as upon us at the beginning. And he's just still giving an abridged version of what happened to him, also des describing the point where they were saved and sealed and became born again, verse 16. Then I remembered the word of the Lord, I always said. John indeed baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit, quoting Jesus Christ from Acts chapter 1, verses 4 and 5. Now, did you notice that Peter gave a distinction between the baptism by water that John gave and the baptism by the Holy Spirit that Jesus Christ gives? So the whole section 
I'm sorry, so the whole sect of Christians that say that a person must be baptized by water to be saved, uh, they're wrong, but saying that you need to be baptized to be saved is actually correct. Now you're like, wait a minute, Pastor, what in the heck are you talking about here? So, so water baptism for salvation is wrong, but you have to be baptized in order to be saved, and that is true. I will say that again. They believe, certain people believe that you need to be water baptized to be saved, but the Bible says that you just need to be baptized to be saved. Let me explain. These people believe that water baptism is supposed to be added to a person to help them get saved, right? Yet the scripture says there, what we just read, that baptism is necessary for salvation, but it, notice it was a Holy Spirit baptism. It wasn't a water baptism. You see, can very confuse people whom say Mark 16, 16 says that water baptism is necessary for Jesus says this, he who believes and is baptized will be saved, but he who does not believe will be condemned. Notice that the baptism wasn't part of the second part. There we see that salvation is contingent on baptism, but the baptism that is needed for, in people's lives and in people's hearts and in people's souls, according to Peter in Acts eleven sixteen, is that they be baptized by God's Holy Spirit, filling them and sealing them, making them born again to be saved. Making, listen, if you've ever wondered what John 3, 3 and 5 meant, listen to what Jesus said in John 3, 3 and 5. An absolute putting it all together. Listen. Jesus answered and said, remember Nicodemus came to him. Well, Jesus answered him in verse 3, and he says this, Most assuredly I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Uh, then he tells us who's eligible for this born-againness, this, this, who, who can even partake of this born-again experience, right? Uh, plus uh, the rebirth that must happen, verse 5. Jesus answered, Most assuredly I say to you, unless one is born of water, what is that? That's water baptism, Pastor Ed. No, he said born of water. Get it? Born of water. That means it's, this is our human beings who can be saved. Angels and demons can't be saved. They don't come from people's wombs. They, there's no salvation for them, right? Human beings are the ones that get saved. Water is in the womb, and, and that's what the amniotic fluid is. But he goes on to say, and I say, unless one is born of water and the Spirit... We see here that the spiritual baptism that Jesus Christ gives is absolutely 100% necessary for eternal life, but not water baptism. Notice it was, and the Spirit, right? Unless one is born of water and the Spirit, born of the human race, and then born by God's Holy Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Even John the Baptist gave the same testimony of Christ in Matthew 3, 11, in speaking about this baptism that people must have in order to be saved, Matthew 3.11, John says this of Jesus Christ, I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance, which is water baptism, right? But he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. Same as Jesus Christ baptized apostles with in John 20, verses 20 and 21. So Jesus said, that again, said to them again, Peace to you, as the Father has sent me, I also send you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the water baptism. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm, verse 22 again. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. 
This is the baptism of the Holy Spirit. This is what Jesus, John said of Jesus in, in, John, in Matthew 3.11. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. One is the Holy Spirit to get saved. One is the Holy Spirit that once someone comes to Christ the way he said to come to him, then they get filled with the Holy Spirit. They become a new creature in Christ Jesus. Second Corinthians 5.17. I don't remember the verse. But that where Paul says that if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creature, and, and old is gone as a new has come. And then the second one is, is in Acts of the day of Pentecost. The one where God's Holy Spirit falls on people and they get the, the fire of God. They get the Holy Spirit fire of God. Yeah. Right? There, there's just no way around it, ladies and gentlemen. You just cannot justify water baptism necessary for salvation exegetically and contextually in Scripture, it's just not that way. You, you can come up with water baptism in an eisegetic way where you go into Scripture and you just look at Scripture how you want with your own doctrine and, and making up anything you want. Yeah, you can see water baptism's proper, but not when you look at Scripture as a whole. Not when you look at Scripture and all Scripture has to say about being baptized and being saved. Peter finishes exhortation to them in verse 17. Let's read it. If therefore God gave them that same gift, gift of baptism of the Holy Spirit that led to being born again and saved, they kind of got it all at one time. They got the Holy Spirit to be filling them, and they got the Holy Spirit to fall upon them so that they spoke with tongues, and because that's what Peter and them heard, as he gave to us when we believed on the Lord. Believed on the Lord Jesus Christ. Who was I that I could withstand God? Notice he just talked about the first part there. Notice that they received the gift of the Holy Spirit once they believed. That's important. Not, not once they were baptized by water, but they got the gift of, of eternal life once they believed on the Lord Jesus Christ. And this was, again, before they were water baptized. How much clearer, guys, can you get? How much more simple can you get in, interesting note here? Actually, Guy also showed me another thing in, in, the, in this text as I was studying this week, and, and this one blew me away. But I challenge you, and my phone number's on the website, my phone number's on SoundCloud, if you're listening to this sermon, find me the place where Jesus Christ baptized, you know, because if baptism is important for salvation, show me the place in Scripture where after Jesus Christ filled the disciples in John 20, 21, and 22, where he breathed on them and they received the Holy Spirit, become born again, or even after Acts chapter 1, where the Holy Spirit fell on them and the fire came on them, they spoke in languages, tongues, and spiritual languages. Show me the place where Jesus Christ then baptized all the apostles and disciples because it was part of their salvation. Well, I, I, please, look, sit down with your latte, you can go to Bible Gateway, type in the, the keyword baptized or baptism or whatever, baptized, or any form of baptized that you want to punch them all in, because that's how I do some of my stuff. I find a keyword in my section of Scripture, and I type that in the Bible Gateway, and I look up all the Scriptures that talk about baptized or baptized or baptism, and find me the ones, just, the, just one, just one verse that shows where the disciples or the apostles were baptized after they got born again. It's because, you know, after all, water baptism is part of our salvation. Get your latte out, like I said. You'll be there for a while. You may not like what you see, but you'll see that the Scripture says that they're not. There's not even one place 
that describes the disciples or apostles getting baptized after they get saved by Christ. Not one of them. Now, do they get baptized? I'm sure they got baptized. Scripture doesn't say anything about it, but if it was important for salvation, then certainly God wants all to be saved, 2 Peter 3.9. He wants all to come to repentance. Why wouldn't he give us the whole way if baptism was absolutely needed for salvation? Why wouldn't he have absolutely made sure he put in there that the apostles were baptized and made it a part of, oh, look, they got filled with the Holy Spirit. Oh, no, they got to get baptized and get saved. It's not. It can't be. If God didn't make a point of it, that means that all it meant, which is huge too, and I don't discount this, guys. I don't, I don't discount this, okay? Baptism is something that born-again saved people should be doing, just like evangelism and just like praying and just like, you know, giving their tithes and her offerings and her gifts and doing the good things to God that God called them to, but they got to get saved First, and those works come after salvation, not to be saved. You cannot add to the salvation process of what Christ did on the cross. And other than you believing and receiving his, the, what, what he gives for free, we're going to look at that in a little bit, you cannot add a work to that. And, and if you do, if you add a work, no matter how commendable it may be, it's an anti-Christ work because Christ didn't teach it. Christ taught, here I am. Christ taught, it is finished in the Bible. It, when he died, it is finished. That means all the work to get to heaven was done by him, not by us, not by you getting baptized or, oh, oh well, now I, I got saved, now I got to speak in tongues or else it wasn't real or, or not. All of this garbage that people add to salvation, come on, it's ridiculous, and stop it. It's apostasy to do it. It's not a Christian teaching. What are, what, what, how do Peter's Jewish Christian friends respond to his compelling account of God's absolute acceptance of the Gentiles, not as filthy swine that the Jews thought they were, plus his acceptance of them unto eternal life? And so Peter's going in and eating with them and such. Look at verse 18, please, our last verse of today. When they heard these things, they became silent. And they glorified God, saying, Then God has also granted the Gentiles repentance to life. And they give the response that they should have given when Peter and his travel companions came back from Caesarea in the first place. Shame on them for not responding this way back then. There was salvation. Who cares how it came? There was salvation. See here, they realize that God has indeed granted salvation to the Gentiles, same as he has granted to the Jews, making now under the new covenant no distinction between Jews and Gentiles as far as salvation goes today in God's eyes. Isn't God so, so very good? So I hope that I did not bore you with all the talk about water baptism not being part of the salvation process or people becoming saved and born again. But again, I must stress, it doesn't have one thing to do with a person becoming saved. Not water baptism, not, not 
praying a prayer, not, not I got to go evangelize, or I got to go do this. It has not one thing to do with a person actually becoming born again and saved. You, you see, I have this little thing in me, and, and God must have put it in me because I, I, if it ain't from him, I don't know who, but I hate doctrines that don't line up with what the Bible says. And I only desire that, that, that the true doctrines of the Holy Bible go forth. And, and when one comes up in the text that we study, because we go verse by verse, I can't skip any. So even if I believe something and we're going through the chapter and verses and I see and I read it and I'm ready to study it, I can't even escape it. And I have to change if I'm wrong on a section of Scripture because I have to look at, oh, am I really right with what I believed about you, God? And if I'm wrong, i got to repent. i got to repent. I only desire to know and to teach you the true and justifiable truths of God's Word. I don't want to teach you lies. There's too many preachers already out there teaching people lies. I don't want to teach you lies. Now, uh, upon one of the even lesser points of the message, and, and I hated it that I had to bring it up so late in the end here, but and, and I really have to I want to close with, with one of the lesser part of messages, but definitely one of the greater topics that I taught on today. I want to close to you talking about the only true baptism that is absolutely necessary for salvation. Because remember, baptism is absolutely necessary for salvation and to go to heaven. But that baptism is one that must be given by God's Holy Spirit and not by water, being granted by Holy, His Holy Spirit to someone to save them and fill them with His Holy Spirit to seal them for the day of redemption. One of the, one of the baptisms that John the Baptist spoke of in Matthew 3.11, speaking of him in Christ, I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sails I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire, and you could say the Holy Spirit and the fire of the Holy Spirit. Once we know Scripture more, as we see what came in the, the, the day of Pentecost when the disciples got the fire, the tongues of fire that sat on their heads, the fire of the Holy Spirit too. And, and the one we see an example of uh, Jesus Christ in John 20, 21 and 22, Peace to you, as the Father sent me, I also send you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. That born againness, right? John chapter 3, most assuredly I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. In verse 5, most assuredly I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, the Spirit of God, that baptism of the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. This is the baptism that people should be concerned with receiving. This one. Forget about being baptized in water. Forget about I got to speak with tongues. Forget about I got to go evangelism. Forget about I got to go pray all these prayers and I got to do all these things. I got to do all this work. I serve in church. You ought to be concerned on have you been baptized by God's Holy Spirit, the one that leads to eternal life. Ladies and gentlemen, the one that leads to eternal life, not the one that leads to work salvation because that's what the other one leads to. So many, too many people in our world today believe themselves to be saved and going to heaven when they die, believing themselves to be born again by God's Holy Spirit. But, but they are all over the board as to how they think this happens. And, and frankly, when you just hang around them for even just a few minutes, they, they don't even exhibit a life that's been changed by the baptism of God's Holy Spirit. It just, you just don't, it's not there. They have a form of godliness, but they deny His power. His power, we were just talking about it the other night on Thursday night, His 
power is His Holy Spirit. You can't just be godly minus God's Holy Spirit and be all right with God. It just doesn't work that way, guys. It just doesn't work that way. Many people that are saved, they think they're saved because they believe in Jesus Christ or they believe in God Almighty. And many people think that they're saved because they have a belief in Jesus Christ and then they got to get baptized. Oh, yeah, I got to get got to have that water baptism. Got to do those works. Got to attach that work on there so I can add to my salvation so I can so I can feel good about I got my salvation. I attained my salvation. Many think they're saved by good works, going to church, being water baptized, keeping the sacraments, saying lots of prayers, evangelizing, keeping the commandments of God, and of course, with the keeping of all these works, having a belief in Jesus. <laughs> hey, they're not even picky, most people. They don't even care what Jesus it is. The Jesus of the Mormons, the Jesus of the Muslims, the Jesus of the Jehovah Witnesses, the Jesus of the Catholics. Hey, if it's a Jesus and he's got that name, I can believe in that Jesus and I can do all these works and I can be saved. Right? That's a whole nother sermon altogether. I'm not even going to get on. I'm not even going to touch that today. But I'm just saying, that's what people believe. And these are really ways in which people believe. And they really believe themselves by believing these things. Good in God's eyes. Really, I've heard them all. They think that they're saved by all of these ways that I just talked about. And those are really ways, right? But the biggest two questions we have for today are these. These are the biggest two questions that I have for you and anybody listening in this whole world to this sermon. Here they are. Number one, how is someone really saved? How does it really happen? How does that salvation really come to pass? And number two, are the ways I just mentioned that people think that they are saved by really how the Bible says that people get saved? Here's what we got to look for. You got to understand there's, there's a way that seems right to a man, but that way leads to destruction, and that goes for even salvation, right? People have made up their own way to salvation, but then there's God's way to salvation in the Bible. And, and let me tell you, he's the physician. He's the one that grants eternal life, not us. So if you try to come to God in a way that's not the way that he said, come to me, then you simply will not be saved and you will end up going to hell when you die. So how about you? Do you really know how the Bible says to be saved? So how to really be baptized by God's Holy Spirit so that you can truly be born again and attain eternal life? Well, if you're planning on getting to heaven by just a belief in Jesus, plus your good works that you have to add on to that, uh, you'll be sad to hear that true salvation doesn't come by any work at all, uh, plus any, any belief in Jesus, plus any work at all. Uh, just as the Apostle Paul says in Ephesians 2, 8-10, through 10, for he says here, For by grace you have been saved through faith. Right? And I'll get to the explanation. And that, and that what is what he's talking about? He's talking about salvation is not of yourselves. It, this salvation that is... Uh, salvation is the gift of God. Verse 9, not of works. You got it? Not of works. Uh Uh-uh. Grace through faith, not of works. At least anyone should boast. Verse 10, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. Then the the good works come. Oh, they're, they're at the end. See that? They're at the end. They're like the wagon that the horse is pulling. 
right? That's where good works come in, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. That equation for biblical salvation, well, it would be Jesus Christ. For John 14, 6, he says, I am the way and the truth and the life, and no man comes to the Father except by me, right? So it's only through him. But then how do we come to him? How does he say to come to him? How did Paul say? Then Ephesians 2, it's his grace or free gift of eternal life that he gave by his life on the cross for our sins. That's, where, that's what grace is. It's getting something you don't deserve. Right? His grace is what he offered on the cross. Right? Through what? Our placing our total faith. Right? There's where grace plus faith, not grace plus works, equals salvation. That's where grace plus faith, us placing our total faith, trust in him to receive his gift. And what is that called biblically? That's repentance with the heart change of our mind's heart change toward Jesus Christ. Us stopping trusting in ourselves, including any good works that we think we can do in order to get to heaven, and us trusting totally in Jesus Christ. Then, as I said, that little cart that kind of the horses were pulling, then after we're saved, Ephesians 2, then 10, there comes the work for people are created to have a relationship and fellowship with God and to serve Him. We are created. Everybody is. Do you know that? Everybody's created to serve God. But we'll serve somebody. You can count on that. You'll either serve yourself or you'll serve God. But you'll serve somebody. God made us to serve Him. Most people serve themselves. So what must this repentance of, or putting our total faith and trust in, in Jesus Christ totally, uh, of the Jesus Christ of the Bible, look like? Because so many uh, say, or even claim, or even profess, or, or you know, it, it kind of like, oh yeah, I got it. But they, ex they express maybe a type of faith in Him, but they live like the devil, and they don't even believe in or even follow Jesus Christ's teachings or His commandments that He gave in the New Testament, yet they think that they're right with God. Well, this salvation, again, like I said, must come through Jesus Christ. For John 14, 6, he said, I am the way and the truth and life. No man comes to the Father except by me. So we must go to him and his words to find out how he said we become worthy to receive the repentance of life, uh, or repentance to life, as the apostles just mentioned in verse 18 of our section today. Notice they said there was repentance to life. Notice that that's important because there is just repentance and that's repentance that's kind of like for Christians, where they've, they've God's saying, oh, you're in sin, you need to change part of your life, and they say, oh, God, yes, sir, and then they change that. But then there's repentance to life, and that's for people that aren't saved. That's where everybody that's in this room or in the world that is truly born again, that's where they were at one point. They were needing to come to repentance to life. And notice that that's just different than just repentance, because it's repentance to life eternal life. So what, do, what did Jesus Christ, how did he say that we had to put our total faith and trust in him and how must we believe in him because God granted him this authority for you see he gave his life up on the cross. So, so how does Christ say that repentance must happen? Well it begins with the very first words that Jesus Christ gave in Matthew 16 24. And then he gives us more understanding of them in 25. And I'm not going to read all of 24, but if you go to Matthew 16, verse 24, I'm just going to read like the first maybe half sentence there. Because the rest are all what happens after somebody is saved. And we're not really focusing on that today. For we need to know how do we really become born again outside of works. For that's like the whole idea behind this, this thrust of this close is forget about works to get you saved because it won't work. <laughs> you have to be saved 
by God's way. Verse 25, I'm sorry, verse 24 of Matthew 16, Jesus says this. Then Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone desires to come after me, anybody desires a relationship with God, anybody that desires to come to know me, anybody that desires they want to follow me, even before they follow me, just to come to him, he says this, and, and this is salvation, guys. Let him deny himself. It, it's just so simple, yet it's so complicated. Yet this is where eternal life begins. This is where your journey with God begins. And let me explain. To deny oneself is true repentance to life. And it is at the point where one becomes born again, where they receive the baptism of Holy Spirit to life, to be filled, to be sealed, to be truly saved. Let me explain a little bit more. Jesus Christ says there that we must deny ourselves. Well, we are born with with the control or the self in control of our own lives. Everybody's born that way. For everybody born lives for themselves. That's just kind of how it works. We are, as we are born, the master of our ships, and we have the right, God gives it to us by free will, the right to do whatever we want with our lives. We can serve God, we can serve the devil, we can serve ourselves, we can serve the world, we can serve everybody and everything except for God if we so choose. But Jesus said anyone that desires to come after me must deny himself. That means taking yourself off the throne of your life. This is the point where you say, you know what? I'm tired of working, (laughs) right? Jesus says, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. This is that point here where we decide, I'm tired of working so hard to try to please God. This is the same point at which uh, even Martin Luther came to, who was a devout Catholic priest. He came to the point where he tried, he just couldn't, just never could do enough works to please God. Ever. He just tried to please God with his whole life. And yet he just could never, never, ever had an assurance of his eternal life, which is where a works doctrine salvation will get you. You'll never, ever, ever have an assurance of your eternal life because you're trying so hard to please God, yet you just won't do what his word says. Really, when you're trying to please God by your good works, you're doing that in self. You're do, yourself is the one that's, yeah, I'm in control. I'm going to do all these things. And God's going, I'm going to make God accept me. I'm going to make God, because I'm going to do all these good works. Yeah, Jesus just simply said, let someone deny himself. Which means, hey, John, Harry, Lizzie, Nathan, Eddie, Bob, Susie, take yourself off of the throne of your life and put Jesus Christ on the throne of your life. It's called surrender. It's called on bended knee, falling down, asking God to take your life. I mean, what have you done with it anyway? Really? What did I do with my life for 25 years before I committed my life? to? I surrendered my life to Jesus Christ. Well, I ran it into the ground. I made a wreck of it. I destroyed it. I hurt people, hurt myself. So where are you? 
Jesus said, let him deny himself. Then he goes on to more after that. There's some holy living that God expects once you're saved, and there's some following him that's involved after you're saved. But Jesus just said, anybody that wants to come after me, I'm salvation. Come, deny yourself. And what do we do when we deny self? Well, somebody's got to have the throne of our lives. He says, then, give it to me. Which he goes down, and if you look down to verse 25 of our Matthew chapter 16, he says this, Forever desires to save his life will lose it. <laughs> so to save your earthly life, you rule it yourself. That's what he's talking about. He's talking about if you want your earthly life, hey, you got it. It's already yours. Rule it yourself. But know this, if you save your earthly life, you're going to lose your eternal life because you're on the throne of your life and I'm not your Lord. But he finishes up his thoughts there by saying, but whoever loses his life, his earthly life, whoever surrenders his earthly life, whoever submits to Christ, hey, he's, I'm counting on him for my salvation. He's my master now. Uh, the cross before me, the world behind me, I'm tired of living my life for me. But whoever loses his life for my sake, earthly life, will find it. Find eternal life. So where be you with Jesus Christ today? Are you trying to work your way to salvation? Or have you come and have you denied self? And are you still there? Is Jesus Christ still on the throne of your life? If, if he is... If he truly is, then you truly have an assurance of your salvation. You truly know that you are one of God's children and born again, and you're a new creature in Christ Jesus, as Paul talks about. Where do you stand with Jesus Christ today? Are you in him because you're in him and abiding in him, trusting in him, him as the Lord of your life? You letting your, him rule your life, right? Or are you good with him because you came to him um, the way you thought was good to come to him? By your works, right? Uh, Jesus Christ said, few would find the road to eternal life. Are you one of the few? Are you one of the few? Anyone can be. Anyone can be. All you have to do is respond to his drawing you right now and give your heart to him and surrender to him and make him the Lord over your life and give him your life and give him your heart. That's what he wants. He's waiting for you. Then after you're truly saved, then go ahead and get baptized in water. Then evangelize and do all those good works God created you for. But, but do them the way that Jesus Christ said to do them, for that's what someone does who's been born again, whom has Jesus Christ sitting on the throne of their lives. That's the thing. You'll serve God the way the Bible says to, not you'll serve God the way you want to. And there's the kind of the difference, and you can judge yourself. Do you serve God the way God says to in his word, or do you serve God in your own way? But you can't do the works to be right with God. You must deny yourself and turn to Him. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for your great, great word today, Lord God. Thank you so much, Lord God, for your truth, 
Lord God, not my truth, Lord God, but thank you, Lord God, for your truth. We thank you, Lord God, that you give us this truth, Lord God, and that not only do you give us this truth, but you also give us your Holy Spirit, and, and you, you for anyone that seeks, Lord God, your Holy Spirit will come and help us the rest of the way home. God, that's what your word says. So we thank you, Lord God, for these things, and we thank you, Lord God, for your great love that you give to all mankind to even offer this great salvation to humanity. I just pray, Lord God, please, those that are caught in a work salvation, in a works doctrine to earn their way to salvation, God, I pray that they would come to repentance to life. Lord God, for working your way to heaven is not how repentance to life comes. That's repentance to death because there's no real biblical repentance there. There's only turning to you or somebody they think is you, their own fictitious God that they've made up in their mind and and saying these are the ways in which my God says to come to him, but they're not biblical ways. Please, God, let them get in your word and let them see these things in your word. Let them seek you, Father God, that they would come to repentance and to life, that they would deny self and just surrender to you and put their trust in you outside of any work that they could do. Let them just fall down on their faces and say, Jesus, I need you. Please save me. I'm sorry that I tried to come to you any way other than just giving you my all, just giving you myself, just surrendering myself to you and saying, Jesus, please be the Lord over my life. And I'm sorry, God. Lord, please help them. Help them to turn. Help them to come to you the way your word says to come to you, not the way men have fashioned up in their own physical ways. We love you and we praise you and we thank you. And we ask these things, all these things, in the mighty and precious name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen.